It's great to be with you this morning. I've been thinking a lot about how we've been spending our time while we've been at home. I've noticed in my neighborhood, there's a lot of yard work going on and there's quite a few do-it-yourself projects. I've avoided those because those don't usually turn out too well for me. I've also seen people learning to play the piano and people taking cooking classes. Just yesterday, my dentist told me that he had actually learned to make great French baguettes during this time. I've also seen that people are working out more. Peloton's business is up 66%, which probably isn't a bad idea if you're going to eat a lot of French bread. As for me, I've been doing a little bit more exercising, but I've also been doing a lot of reading. I don't know if you're like me, but I always have a big stack of books that I want to read that I can't seem to ever get to. I also have a big Amazon wish list. So I've been working through my stack of books, and this is how far I've gotten as of now. You'll see there's a lot of biographies there. There's uh, a lot of history. I love history. I love to know people's story and just get a perspective on how we got to where we are today. We hear a lot of people say that these are the worst times we've ever lived in, but when you read history, it sort of puts things in perspective. A few weeks ago, I was reading this big biography on Harry Truman, and they were talking about how in his lifetime, he lived through World War I, the Spanish flu, World War II, the Great Depression, and the Korean War. Well, that kind of puts our time in a little bit of perspective. I love to read the words of our great citizens because they motivate and inspire me. Like John Adams, who wrote, our constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate for any other. Or Frederick Douglass, who said, those who profess freedom and yet depreciate agitation are men who want crops without plowing up the ground. Or Abraham Lincoln, who said that the nation shall have a new birth of freedom and that the government of the people, by the people, and for the people shall not perish from the earth. Well, the other pastors on staff, they like to needle me about my brevity. They always say, you, you do the shortest announcements and you pray the shortest prayers and you preach the shortest sermons. But I want to remind them that the Gettysburg Address was only 271 words. So I think I'm in pretty good company. Well, this morning, I want us to talk a little bit about this idea of citizenship, but not from that stack of books, but from this book. Because I think ultimately our worldview should come from God's word. That's where we should really form our ideas. And we live in a time right now where we are bombarded with information. We are constantly seeing some new coronavirus model or some political slogan or some tweet. And what we should always go back to the word of God and reflect on what he's telling us about how to live this life that we've been called to live. So this morning, I want to talk about citizenship but not citizenship from a political perspective or even American citizenship. I want to talk about what does it mean to be a citizen of heaven? 
And let's begin by taking a look at Paul's letter to the Philippians. For as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, many, of, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they may be like his glorious body. Well, citizenship was a big deal in the Roman world. Citizenship in Rome had a lot of value. We know, for instance, that the Apostle Paul was a Roman citizen, and uh, he used that on several occasions. He also used it to go to Rome to have a hearing before Caesar. He used it to seek justice after he had been jailed. Now, the way Roman citizenship worked in Philippi is a lot of the citizens there were actually former soldiers. They, uh, they went from Rome to Philippi because the emperor didn't really want a lot of retired Roman soldiers hanging around Rome. If you know any history of the Roman Empire, you know they had a lot of civil wars and a lot of overthrowing of the government. So the last thing that the Caesar wanted was a lot of retired soldiers hanging around town. So what they would do is they would send them out to a place like Philippi and they would give them some property and the idea was that they would take the values of Rome to the colony. The idea was that they would be people there who could represent Rome and even provide security. And so that's the illustration that the Apostle Paul is making, that even though their citizenship is in Rome, they're called to bring their values to Philippi. And in the same way, we as followers of Jesus, our citizenship is in heaven, but we are called to bring those values to earth. A couple of years ago, I went to Guatemala with a group of pastors with International Justice Mission. And we went down there because we had been asked to go and to try to train local pastors about preaching justice in their community. You see there, they have a huge problem with the abuse of children. But unfortunately, the church doesn't speak up very often. The reason for that is the church feels that their job is to focus on spiritual things and not to focus on worldly things. And so we were trying to help them see that God is passionate about justice. And we are not just called to speak about spiritual things, but to actually take those things and bring them to earth. As the prayer says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so while we were there, we, we led them in that and, and hopefully we made some progress. But that's, that's not just something that happens in Guatemala. That's something that happens here. But the fact that we're citizens in heaven should motivate us to actually care about what's going on in our world. And the church should be a force for good. N.T. Wright writes that the church was never intended to be the religious department of any empire, but always to be building for the true kingdom, setting up an embassy for the one 
true Lord. Well, over these past few weeks, I've had the opportunity to see a lot of examples of embassies of the one true Lord. It's been such an honor to be a part of Feed the 5,000 here at Peachtree and see how we've been able to impact our community. In just the past few weeks, we've provided over 51,000 meals and we've packed over 43,000 pounds of food that we've distributed right here from our gym. Food that's had a real impact on real people like today. Today is a young man who's 19 years old. His mother passed away and he came to Atlanta looking for a job. He got to work at uh, State Farm Arena and he was excited about that. And then of course the COVID lockdown came and State Farm Arena had to close. So he was literally on the street. He said that what he would do is he would wander around downtown at night and he would go from hotel to hotel trying to find a place to sleep. Fortunately, he found Covenant House, one of our partners, and they took him in and they cared for him and they fed him. He said, I even gained weight during the COVID lockdown. I think a lot of us can relate to that. But there's other embassies of heaven in our community that are not really an organization, but they're just people living out their calling. As an example, I've been so inspired over these past weeks to see local teachers serving to distribute food to the families of their students, just showing how they don't just care about their students learning and their academics, but they care about them in a holistic way. I've had so many people that I've known who've reached out to an elderly neighbor and offered to buy groceries or just give them a call. I also think of my friend Nancy who went to Charlotte for a couple of weeks and moved in with her dad to be with him in his last days. Or I think of my friend Rick, who is in the process of becoming a CASA, an advocate for foster children. He's doing that online right now so that he can serve them when he's able to do that after the lockdown ends. So many ways people are living with a heavenly mindset. I also got to see a great example a couple of months ago when I was in India. When we went to India, we were in one of the largest red light districts in Asia. And while we were there, we were able to walk around within that community. And I will have to say that um, it's one of the most dark, depressing places that I've ever been. That place is somewhere where when you walk through it at night, you feel like you're walking through the set of a horror movie. But right there in the middle, you'll see the building with the shiny roof is Ashloy. Ashaloy is a place that uh, they care for children after school while their moms are engaging in their horrible profession. These kids are able to come there and get education and get health care. And in these days during COVID-19, they've actually been able to come there and get food and be served in that community. Just another example of the light of Christ in a very dark place. People with a heavenly mindset responding to the world as Jesus would respond. I want to take a little, a little bit of time here and contrast this idea of an earthly mindset and a heavenly mindset. An earthly mindset is when we have a mindset that's self-absorbed. 
primarily focused on ourselves, our needs, and our well-being. A person with a heavenly mindset is focused on others and willing to sacrifice for their needs and well-being because they know that we're called to love our neighbor as ourself. An earthly mindset's first inclination is to judge, especially someone that is different from us. We make up stories about them before we even know them. That's in contrast to the heavenly mindset whose first instinct is toward compassion. The earthly mindset focuses on division and what makes us different, while the heavenly mindset seeks unity to bring people together. The earthly perspective dehumanizes people by seeing their identity through the lens of only their race or their gender or their political affiliation. The heavenly perspective sees everyone as first and foremost someone created in the image of God. The earthly-minded person thrives on conflict. They love the most combative voice on social media. They want retribution, while the heavenly-minded person wants reconciliation. The earthly-minded person is proud and supremely confident that they are right, superior to all others. In contrast to a person of humility who is willing to look at themselves and see their own brokenness. And finally, the earthly mindset is obsessed with winning, winning every argument, every conflict, no matter the cost. The heavenly mindset is more focused on loving. You know, I think 2020 may very well be the most significant year in our lives. My guess is in years to come, somebody will write a big book about this time. In fact, there'll probably be a, a big stack of books about this era. It's a time when I think our children and our grandchildren are going to ask us, where, where were you? What did you do during those days? Were you there making a difference? Were you part of the problem? Were you part of the solution? Or were you, you just irrelevant to the whole situation? In 1963, Dr. Martin Luther King, sitting in a Birmingham jail, wrote these words. There was a time when the church was very powerful. In the time when the early Christians rejoiced at being deemed worthy to suffer for what they believed. In those days, the church was not merely a thermometer that recorded the ideas and principles of popular opinion. It was a thermostat that transformed the mores of society. I believe that in this time, God is calling us to be a thermostat. There are probably some times where we need to help to lower the temperature and some times where we need to raise the temperature. I believe that God calls us to be people of peace that lead people to reconciliation. That was described well by the Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians when he wrote, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God 
through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. Jesus came to build a new humanity. This is my passport. I had planned to use it a lot this year. I had a lot of trips planned and uh, that's not gonna happen, obviously. You know, a passport can tell you a lot about a person. You can look in it and you can see their image. You can see their home address. You see the stamps of all the places that they've been. And if they have a visa, you can even see where they're going. I've been thinking about what would it be like if we had a passport as a citizen of heaven? What would, what would be in it? Well, I think it would be stamped with stories of how God has formed us through our life. If mine was stamped with stories of how God has formed me through my life, some of those stories would revolve around race. I grew up in South Carolina in the 1960s, and um, I can remember vividly as a young boy going to a county fair with my parents, and we were sitting in a stand, and four Ku Klux Klansmen came in and sat down behind us in their robes and their hoods. I can remember terrible things being said about African-Americans on a daily basis. I can remember when the N-word was just a normal part of conversation. I can remember when we couldn't go to the same swimming pool or we couldn't play on the same little league team. I also remember in the fourth grade when my school was integrated. That was a crazy time and I remember that we were told we had to be careful because all the black boys would carry knives in their back pockets. And then we, of course, found out that they weren't knives. They were just picks for their hair. It was the 1960s after all. I started to make friends with the kids in my class. And then I also had the opportunity to uh, have an African-American teacher that year, Mrs. Sly. And I remember that she was one of the best teachers I ever had. And as I started to have relationships with those kids, I realized that the stuff that I had been told, it just wasn't true. And those were the seeds that eventually grew and crowded out the racism that had been planted in my mind. And over the years, I've been stamped with many other stories and relationships with African-Americans who have had great impact on me. Sadly, I would say there's probably not enough. And while I understand a lot more than I did, I can still grow in my understanding. In the past couple of weeks, I have had so many people say, I just wish there was something I could do. I just wanna do something, but I, I don't know what it is. So this morning, I wanna offer a simple option. I'm actually gonna say it's a challenge. I'm gonna call it the passport challenge. And what I wanna challenge you is if you're watching today and, and you're white, 
I want to encourage you to reach out to a person of color and just sit down with them and say, I'd love to hear your story. You don't have to rationalize it. You don't have to defend it. You don't have to explain it. But just in humility, say, I want to sit down and hear about your experience. Because I believe that God changes us through relationships. And that is where our understanding really can grow. And I think it's past time for us to just post on social media. I think it's time for us to have real conversations with real people. And when we do that, I believe that the Spirit of God will work in that and lead us to reconciliation and a new humanity. Because the truth is that loving our neighbor is not a political statement. It's just proof of our citizenship in heaven. Would you pray with me? Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me bring love. Where there is offense, let me bring pardon. Where there is discord, let me bring union. Where there is error, let me bring truth. Where there is doubt, let me bring faith. Where there is despair, let me bring hope. Where there is darkness, let me bring your light. Where there is sadness, let me bring joy. O oh, Master, let me not seek as much to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that one receives. It is in self-forgetting that one finds. It is in pardoning that one is pardoned. It is in dying that one is raised to eternal life. Amen. Lord, let us be an instrument 